Ah, beloved, I'm Pastor Trey, and you're now listening to the New Living Translation. This is Bonafide Bible Talk, because God speaks my language too, and I'm sure enough about to act like it. Let's go. I do not know if there is anything or anybody who has done more to influence, to mold, to shape the way that I view scripture than Jesus of Nazareth. Truly, I mean that. The way that Jesus handles scripture within the pages of the Bible has inspired me to re-examine the way that I handle the scripture, not only in my teaching and in my Bible study, but in my everyday life, how I aspire to let the words contained in these 66 books for me, a couple dozen fewer for Jesus, but how I let these words shape me is impacted by how Jesus used them in his life. Now, what do I mean by that? It's a fantastic question. I might sound a little nebulous right now, but I promise you I'm going somewhere. I do not believe that the Bible is supposed to serve as a step-by-step instruction manual on how a child of God ought to live their life. Not only do I not believe that, I do not even think that the Bible makes that claim about itself. I mostly understand our impulse to treat it like that at times. Typically, the more that we can agree on things, the easier life becomes for everyone. That's how things go. That's why we have dictionaries that compile all of the words that we use together as a society and put the definitions in one place. We can reference them together. But there's even problems with that approach, right? Because language in and of itself is cultural. It tells you about a group of people. The idea that we would all share a language with common definitions is sort of an imperial project where we try to minimize our differences so that we can come together on certain things. Now, instinctively, somebody heard me make that claim and they say, well, what about the Tower of Babel? Didn't we all used to speak the same language? And beloved, that is not what this episode is about. Maybe we tackle that one another time. But talking about right here, right now, when we don't all speak the same language. But besides all of that, nobody said that life was supposed to be easy. Yes, we'd all like certain things to be easier, but the idea that, no, the Bible is here to simplify this for us and get us all on the same page about everything is betrayed by a couple thousand years of history. So Jesus of Nazareth comes along and he picks up the same scriptures that everybody else is using, all of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious establishment, the same scriptures that they're using in synagogues all across Palestine and Judea at this time. And he adds this little twist to him, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five and six, you see this phrase a few times. You have heard it said, but I say to you, And he kind of reframed some things based upon not just how they have been taught, but how they actually apply and impact the lives of the listeners. And what Jesus does with scripture is very powerful to me because it's very easy to read these scriptures and to read the thoughts of all of the scholars and the priests and the magistrates over the centuries and just repeat those things and make whatever tweaks we need to adapt them to our time. But it takes a different level of wisdom and faith to read these scriptures and then connect them, connect that bridge across time and across antiquity and across the cultures and all of the things that have changed and say, how does this impact 
your life, not in general, but you specifically. And one of the ways that Jesus does this over and over throughout the New Testament is by using stories that we often call parables. And through these stories, Jesus communicates truths in ways that people can understand, regardless of whether or not they trained under the most famous scholars of the day, regardless of whether or not they went to seminary. He communicates God's truths through these stories. And I want to look at one of these stories today because it's almost kind of unique in that he doesn't at least in this instance, say that the kingdom of heaven is like such and such and paint this big, pretty picture. He tells a story about an employer and an employee and some stuff that went south and how wisdom is exercised in a sense. And I want to look at this because it's so interesting. He doesn't even commend the people that you would expect the son of God to commend in such a situation. So today, we do a bona fide Bible talk about Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Parable of the shrewd manager and some other stuff. Let's get it. There's this head honcho who has this right hand man handling most of the work on the ground for him. Word gets brought back to the boss that his lieutenant has been a little reckless with his paper. So the boss man calls this right hand man in and he says, What's this I'm hearing about you playing fast and loose with my money? Don't even answer. Go ahead and get your stuff together. Because you about to get reassigned to that unemployment office. The lieutenant thinks to himself, Dang, what am I supposed to do now? I ain't really built for manual labor. And I sure as hell ain't about to be caught out here begging. You know what? I got it. I'm about to take this L in style. So we found everybody who owed the boss and he set up a little summit. He says to the first one, How much you want? About 800 gallons of oil. Bet. Change it to 400, we'll call it square. Now you, how much you want? A thousand things a week. Can you do 800? <laughs> we gonna do 800. Boss had to admire the newly unemployed homie for being so slick. It's true. The scammers move smarter than the church folks. Moral of the story, if money has any use, Use it to benefit others and to make friends. That way, when you run out of it, you ain't got no worries. They'll make sure you good forever. If you could be trusted with a little, you could be trusted with a lot. But if you move funny with a little, you're going to be raggedy with a lot. If you can't be trusted with worldly wealth and money, how are we supposed to trust you with heavenly riches? And if we can't trust you with other people's stuff, how are we supposed to trust you with your own? You can't serve two bosses. You're always going to love one of them and hate the other one. You're going to ride for one and scheme on the other one. You can't serve God and be a paper chaser. Let me tell you why I love this story, this parable, so daggone much. Jesus was so smooth with what he just did. I'm going to try to break this down a couple different ways and hope it makes sense to y'all the way it does in my head. First things first, let's talk about money, what it is and what it is not. What money is not is like a real thing that is intrinsic to the earth. Nah, money is always in 100% of the cases, a social construct. It is a proxy for power. So when they talk about, oh, the United States dollar is losing value. 
what? Who said that? No, what they're talking about is like a relative term. Like now our economy, our buying and spending power is not as strong as it was earlier based upon what some other folks got going on. Money is what we say it is. It's what we as a society have agreed to make it. Think about it, especially when you talk about paper money, you're talking about a piece of paper with the same dimensions as a bunch of different pieces of paper, but because we printed a certain number on it, like this piece of paper is worth more than that piece of paper. It's wild, but we just agree to these things. Like money is what we have agreed to make it. And money is a proxy for power. That's why they got that old saying that money equals power. That's what all of this stuff means. So Jesus tells this story about a man who is in effect in trouble with his boss because he has mishandled, because he has abused, because he has squandered his power. His job was to use his boss's money, his power correctly, and he wasn't doing a good job, so he gets let go. What does he do on the way out? He finds all of the people who were indebted to his boss, who owed his boss some power, and he negotiates with them so that their debt is lessened. He forgives just a portion of their debt and hopes that, look, one day I might need to call in a favor and I need you to remember what I did for you right here, right now. And when the boss finds out about it, he's not angry. He's not upset, or at least not in the story. He might have been. But it says that even the boss had to admire the shrewdness of the manager. It doesn't say much nice about this steward, this manager, whatever we choose to call him, the lieutenant in the story that I just told. It just says that even the boss had to commend him, had to admire like, hey, man, that was smooth, which I see what you did. That was smooth and game recognized game. Congratulations. That's almost the moral of the story. Game recognized game. Jesus tells this story to say, hey, look, sometimes you got to use your street smarts. You need to recognize that your relationship with people is going to be all you have sometimes at the end of the day, because you can lose all of that money, especially if you're not the top dog. If you find yourself in a position to get money because of who you work for, or you just happen to find yourself close enough to power that it looks like you powerful, you're going to need some people. So you might need to be smart about how we deal with these people. And that's an amazing story for Jesus to tell because in this story, the one who is commended is in some translations presented to us as a rascal. He's a scammer. He's a schemer. He's not like a clean dude. But the way that he handles this situation, when he recognizes that his hour is fleeting, that he is no longer in the seat of power or that close to the seat of power, the way he starts moving is in forgiveness. Let me make your life easier because I know that one day you might be in a position to make my life easier. Is that the happiest ending to the story in the world? Absolutely not. But it's real because sometimes life is messy. So I said what I said earlier about the Bible not being this step-by-step -step instruction manual, not being this rule book, because in this story, the hero is not necessarily the good guy. In fact, there is no hero. There is somebody who is simply commended because they exercise wisdom in this moment. As their true nature, their lack of power was exposed because the person who gave them the power, who delegated the power to them, took it back they recognized that the only way that they were going to survive is if they were just as forbearing and understanding with the people around them, that we are relational beings who need each other. And there's a lesson in that. 
because Jesus wasn't really speaking in the abstract here. I said all that stuff I said earlier about money being imaginary and a social construct and a proxy for power because of the context in which he tells this story. I stopped at verse 13 when we talk about, oh, you can't serve God and mammon or God and money. But verse 14 straight up tells us that Jesus was telling this story in the presence or in the audience or somehow this story got back to the Pharisees who the Bible in this instance describes as lovers of money. Meaning that Jesus was telling these people who were exercising power that did not ultimately belong to them. It was delegated power that if you continue lording your power over these people in this fashion, that when it is taken back by its rightful owner, you're going to need these very people to lift you up. You're going to need them. And we know that in this particular instance, Jesus was talking about religious power because it tells us they was mad. It tells us that hit dogs started hollering. Now, I need to be very careful when I say this. I don't think that Jesus is talking about all of the Pharisees and all of the scribes. Jesus is talking about some folks who are not being good stewards of their delegated power and were making life harder for certain people. But he doesn't even condemn them to the bad place or nothing like that. He tells a story. That in fact commends the same person who had been abusing the money and squandering the money. He commends them for being wise enough to know like, when this is all said and done, I'm going to need me some friends. And this is why I often maintain that the gospel of Jesus Christ is often a story about the redistribution of power. About the rightful owner of all power reclaiming that which belongs to God and God alone. And taking it back from people who have used it to exploit and mistreat other people. Because at the root, sin is almost always about a misappropriation of power. And in this story, when this one dude gets caught red-handed doing dead wrong. And all of a sudden has to start maneuvering with the people around him. And forgiving debts. The manager comes back and he says, yo, I get you, dog. Can't recognize game. I ain't even mad. And to me, that's a message of hope. That the one who holds all the power in their hands is ready to give us our props when we start moving smart in these streets. Translation is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. You can follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. That's the number three, not spelled out black men you can find me on all social media platforms at pastor trey 05 that's pastor trey 05 don't send me no facebook requests though like i don't be over there that's the bad place this work has been made possible by a community of folks who've chosen to show their support through generosity you can join us at patreon.com slash three black men spell three out that time though patreon.com slash three black men there you can find even more original content from Sam, Rob, and yours truly. Make sure you subscribe to, rate, and review the New Living Translation and Three Black Men wherever you get your podcast. And remember, real recognize real. Don't get caught looking unfamiliar. <laughs>